Howdy to all of you out there and welcome to the Friendship News Hour. Today is June 1st. Rhett is due. I'm with Alfred Kenzie. My name is Frank Huerta. Um, and it's been a week since I've heard your voice, my friend. Feels like longer. I know, man. I'm, I apologize. It's uh, partly my fault. We had some technical difficulties back home. And by technical difficulties, I mean my mom's Wi-Fi sucks. So. Yeah, well. I do blame her for not being set up to live stream a podcast. <laughs> but uh, man, it didn't seem like a ton of stuff happened when we were gone, which is good. It's interesting how that works out when you're preoccupied with things that matter. <laughs> like well, family, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, when you don't right. have all day to worry about the problems of the world, it seems like what matters most shines through. And uh, I think we both got some time to to spend with families. Uh, you were with your family back in Toledo and, uh, I, I got to spend some time with my girlfriend's family up in, uh, the, uh, Northern LA area. And, uh, yeah, man, it was, it was great. Uh, it was great to unplug and not worry about, um, just the, the ongoings of the day to day. And like I said, focus on good food, family, and, uh, things that matter. And you're turning back around and you're going to continue to focus on those things, are you not, here in the next yeah, couple of days? Yeah, man, I got a trip to Mexico coming up this week. I'll be in uh, in Puebla, Mexico, or, or just north of it at a, at a family ranch. Mm. Um, so I'm excited, man. I, I, I want to eat so many damn tacos this week that I, I don't ever want to see a taco again in my life. I was going to say, I hear they do those pretty well down there. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it is where they come from, so I hope so. Um, yeah, man, I'm excited. And uh, yeah. again, another week of just unplugging and uh, really, I mean, I, I don't know what the cell service will be like, but it's a ranch in rural Mexico, I got to imagine. Yeah. Um, your, your mom's Wi-Fi would shit on that. So <laughs> we'll figure something out. But but I'm excited to, to be off the grid, man. Like I said, just mm-hmm. focus on the things that, that matter. Like even this past weekend when I was uh, with my girl's family, um, I didn't bring a, a iPhone charger Oh yeah, and it wasn't by, I, I didn't, I just figured I would skate off of other people's. Everyone's got a charger. Right. And yeah. so like three, four hours during the middle of the day when my phone was about to die, I would just plug it in and leave it and I'd be with whoever. And it was great. It was great to not have that distraction and not want to be completely connected to everything. And, uh, you know, have some good, meaningful conversations and talk to people and get to know them a little bit and. So it's fun, man. I am excited to continue on with that. Yeah, it's the best, dude. That's to me, camping is always my favorite vacations for that reason. Like I put where I, where, when we get wherever we're going, my car, I put my phone right in the car, and it sits there the rest of the weekend. Um, yeah, and yeah. You just you know you're connecting with people, engaging, just enjoying like the outdoors, and just not thinking about Instagram and and TikTok and scrolling and blah 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 news, bad news, right? Twitter and a 24 hour news cycle. Yeah. And, all that nonsense. And, and uh, the one downfall of that, uh, I'll, I'll figure out how to make that work this weekend or this, this upcoming week. But you know, that the camera on this phone is so dang good that it's almost a necessity now, if we want to go out and capture anything or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, create some memories that way. Uh, but it's a small price to pay really. And, um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how my family in rural Mexico, I haven't seen these people since I was like four years old. Damn. And it'll be interesting to see how life is lived out there, man. It's going to be, it's going <laughs> to be not what we have here. Like, like even, you know, you, you even look at what the most impoverished places in America mm-hmm. and then compare that to rural Mexico. I got to imagine it's night and day, man. Say, what if they've like struck gold or some shit and you get there and it's like twice as big as your house, sick ass Wi Fi, <laughs> fucking pools? Oh man, I doubt it. It's funny. <laughs> I, my mom would tell me this story all the time about how when we were kids, we would go down to this ranch because we had lived in Mexico for a short time there and um, we would go to the ranch and visit. And people from around the town that they lived would come to their house and watch TV because they were the only people in town that had a satellite. Oh, wow. And this is, this would have been like 1993, 1994. Hmm. And yeah, so they were the only ones that had a satellite and they would come and they would watch TV at this ranch. So, um, who knows, man, maybe they've upgraded to cable. Wow. That's we'll, see. <laughs> well, fear not friendship news fans, because I think what we're going to try to do is bring in some friendship, uh, while Franklin is, uh, eating very good tacos and away from service and, uh, perhaps he'll be able to join us, but we're going to try to, uh, 
roll with a couple friends and still deliver the news um, the rest of this week and into early next week. So we'll see how that goes. But you will be missed, sir. Ah, uh, yes. Giant, giant shoes to fill indeed. <laughs> um, I'd like to start today by uh, walking back some comments that I made a couple of weeks ago uh, when we first learned about the... Uh, the, the spending bill that uh, was introduced by the Biden administration, and I was quite critical of it, as I would be with any uh, bill that is trying to spend trillions of dollars, yours and mine, um, on things that we really don't know about. Um, and in this spending bill, um, and the reason it got brought up is because there was a, a budget proposal that was unveiled last Friday by the Biden administration uh, to the tune of $6 trillion in, in federal spending um, for the year, for the fiscal year 2022. And the U.S. government's fiscal year starts on like October 1st, somewhere around there. Right. So this is the budget for that fiscal year, October mm-hmm. 1, 2021 to September 30th. 2022. And one of the big things that is highlighted in there and what was highlighted in this, in the spending bill that was introduced about a month ago was universal preschool. Right. And I was very critical of universal preschool. Um, just on the basis of our dependence on government spending that we are going to depend on government spending to take care of our children. And, and you know, as long as we're telling the truth here, it, it, you know, it's going to be from preschool until they're in college, the first two years of college, if this bill goes through. And I, the idea doesn't sit well with me. But uh, I got to say that I was wrong in, in my assumptions of what this bill would do. And, um, it turns out that there has been a study going on for about 25 years where they took a very diverse group of children and they put them in preschool and then they tracked their progress. And then they took another very diverse group of children who didn't do preschool and they tracked their progress. Um, and this was done in Boston, I believe. So the study tracked 4,000 students and they compared them again to, to, to people who, who hadn't gone into preschool. Most of the kids were black or Hispanic and most were poor enough to be eligible for free lunch. Right? So we're talking about the people that we think need this the most. And there wasn't anything like, like there wasn't anything jarring, right? Like all kids more or less progress along the same line. Um, but what, when you look at the whole picture of, of what these children did, um, the kids that did go to preschool and, 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 and this is still in Boston, um, they were way more likely to graduate from high school, to take SAT tests, and to go on to college. They were less likely to be suspended or incarcerated, right? Um, So I don't know any other conclusion to draw from that other than public preschool, guaranteed by the government, might in fact be one of the best investments that we could make in this country. What, do you think that's because they're so malleable at that age that like when you set that course of some kind of structure and education and, and yada yada, like that early, that continues you on that path instead of like developing more in chaos or, or with less structure? Yeah, Is right. That it's a good saying? question because but part of what the study was asked was, was explaining from the results is that there isn't any really big jump like like take a kid that is in from first grade to third grade right yeah and you take the the group of kids that went to preschool and the group of kids that didn't the group of kids that went to preschool they had no measurable effect that did no measurable uh, advancement beyond what the the other kids who didn't go to preschool right they all kind of learned at the same rate they all more or less read at the same rate they the fundamental 
knowledge that you would learn from from school between grades one and three um, were more or less the same. Uh, but what they found is that, and it, they found that the just the community of a preschool, just being able to play with other kids your age and figure things out with other kids your age and to have that interaction on a day-to-day basis, um, that is what this study is more or less pointing to that as the precursor to success for just baseline graduating from college, taking SATs and attempting to go, right? Like, like, the trajectory, that's a good word, the trajectory of the students who went to preschool was definitively better than the trajectory of kids who didn't go to preschool. And and they even say, like, preschool isn't, like, the, uh, preschool isn't what it was that that made this happen for these children. It wasn't the fact that they had, you know, learning before kindergarten, right? It wasn't that they were in school before kindergarten. It All it was, was just having the chance to be a child with other children their age. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I have no other choice but to look at this and say, well, shoot, man, like, obviously. And that, that makes sense, right? I mean, you hear it on the surface. Yeah, for sure. And like that plan included, you know, meals and stuff like that too. I don't know how involved they would need to be long-term, but like early education, especially seems like a no brainer to me. Like if with parents, like I think we kind of said this before, but like with parents having to still work, you know, and not being able to stay home and teach their kids, you know, these basic things that they would learn here, this kind of helps everybody. Uh, especially like those minorities and stuff that, you know, maybe don't have access to a nanny or these other things where their parents can still work and provide. And even if you're like giving your kid to your parents or whatever, Mm. you know, if you don't have other children to interact with, if you're not able to play as a kid with another kid who understands how to play with a kid and had the energy to do it. And dude, I was this weekend, I was with my girl's family and her, her sister's kids where we were all in the pool Mm -hmm. and I made the mistake of, um, letting the kids know that I could throw them a ridiculous (laughs) far amount into the air (laughs) and they wouldn't stop, bro. Yeah. Yeah, again, me, again, me, again. Me, I'm like, jeez, yeah. Pete's, man. <laughs> like, it's 15 times is enough, little buddy. Right. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, like just having that, that, that other children atmosphere, being able to play mm. with a bunch of other kids, being able to interact with a bunch of other kids, having that chance as a child versus, you know, just riding the wave of your parents and whatever, who, who, however you can, you know, be watched as a child, that's what you're going to take. And, uh, so, I mean, the fundamentals of it are there and, and it, and it seems to be a, a really, really good idea. Great timing for the policy that they're trying to push through. <laughs> Not that it's lined up, it's going on for 25 yeah. years, but it's just <laughs> yeah. like perfect. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, but it, I guess if you were to look at the policy that they're trying to put out as an investment in America, right? As spending with the expectation of a return, it seems here that the return um, is far greater than I even could have imagined. Um, And certainly still not okay with the, you know, head to toe government involvement in life for children. But if you are going to look at it from a purely investment perspective, I, I got to say, yeah, more power to you. Make it happen. That still needs to be voted on by what the Senate before anything would push um, forward with that budget. Or well, where's that at? Yes and no. Th- this, this spending package here. Um, y- yeah, it, it will need to be approved for sure. Yep. It, it kind of, and we're, we're kind of getting the weeds here, but it kind of opens up a back door f- for passing legislation here. So like you, 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 to pass legislation directly related to this budget, you only need a simple Senate majority, mm-hmm. which is 50 plus one. And right now Democrats have 
Democrats and Republicans are halved in the Senate, 50, uh, 50%, 50%. The tiebreaker is vice president, who is Kamala Harris, who's obviously going to vote on the Democratic side. So um, usually you need 60 votes, two-thirds majority. Here you only need a simple Senate majority. So ah. um, yeah, it's a process called reconciliation. And um, again, we're getting into the weeds here. But essentially it just the Senate needs to approve the budget. Um, and, uh, so yeah. And, and, you know, on that subject, it, it, it's going it to put us in a deficit of 1.84, 1.84 trillion dollars for fiscal year 2022. Um, which is a little, it's down from 2021. Our deficit last year was 3.67 trillion, but that's because we were in a pandemic and we spent out of our asses. Um, but that would mean, <laughs> that would mean that our, our debt held by the public, meaning our share of debt that we're going to have in 2022 is going to be 111%. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, higher than anything that we've seen since world war two and even before. So again, you, you got to think about it in terms of that, like, like it's great, but we're also spending a ridiculous amount of money. And, um, so we got to reconcile for sure. But, uh, but I'm on board with it, but I'm bored with it. You know, um, it's for the kids for sure. For the kids, man. I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good argument against it. It would just, I mean, it'd be kind of what your argument was before, just like government spending and getting involved. And and, because the thing I would guess is that is that like there's going to be some kind of basic plan in place that all preschoolers will be learning. And I'm sure people will be like, that's not the right, you know, plan to set our kids on. That's not the right lesson schedule or anything like that. Um, Not that I'm sure it'd be very crazy for a preschooler, but people are always going to find problems with something like this but government spending would be the big one I would think. But I I think the plan would be to offset a lot of the debt held by the public by taxing, try to tax wall street or trying to use this, the tax on the, you know, that 1% that we kind of been keep coming back to. So hopefully that helps offset some of that, but I would think that would be taken into account for what you would just said with 111%. Right. And also that's a good question too, because you don't, it's not like the government is is setting up a ton of different um, preschools that are going to be like federal preschools. You know, it's going to be like, here is money for preschools that you could set up in your community and you're going to get subsidized for it. But then the question was like, okay, in order for a preschool, like the person running the preschool, in order for them to receive funds, what do they have to do? And, mm-hmm. and is there going to be a curriculum, right? Like you said, is there going to be some sort of thing that needs to be taught more or less at all these places? And what is that going to look like? Because then that's another thing you could get into because then you don't even have a choice. And maybe you do have a choice. I don't know. I don't know. It's not even here yet. So we're, yeah. we're probably getting Speculating. a little bit ahead of ourselves. But um but yeah, it, it, and it's a it's an interesting read. Uh, we'll put the link up on on Twitter so you guys can check it out. At Friendship NH. Uh, today, Supreme Court ruled that they are going to, they are not going to consider Johnson and Johnson's appeal uh, that sought to challenge them paying a ton of money to a bunch of people. Um, basically, they are they were challenging a two point one billion dollar civil judgment that was awarded to twenty different women who alleged the company's talcum baby powder caused ovarian cancer. Jesus. Yeah. Right. Uh, they've been fighting this for some time now, and uh, last year they lost, and it was like I think they were told they needed to award four point like six billion dollars to like twenty four people, and since then it, it had they took it to like the other local courts in Missouri and had it changed, came back down to 2.1 billion and they got rid of like four of the people because of some, there were some claims or, or something wrong where like they were kind of looked like they were just going for the cash grab, trying to join on to this thing. Um, so they got removed. But so like the final ruling was a $2.1 billion payout to 20 people and they fought this in Missouri, but lost. So then they tried to take it to the Supreme court and they today were just like, nah, sorry fam, 
we're going to go with what was ruled in your local area. Um, so basically this started in 2015 and they alleged that the company's talcum powder contain, contained asbestos, uh, and that Johnson and Johnson knew this all along and kept it secret and continued to distribute it, uh, as it was a very popular product for them. Uh, a company like denied this outright, uh, that they had anything to do with asbestos or any kind of like carcinogenic. Um, and they said in a court brief that, uh, studies had found no meaningful association between cosmetic talcum use and ovarian cancer. That was proved wrong once they went into court. Um, and they have faced thousands of lawsuits as a result. And as a result of the lawsuits and kind of being made a fool in court, uh, said they are going to stop selling baby powder made with talcum in the United States and I believe in Canada too. Um, so they argue Johnson and Johnson before the Supreme court to try to get them to hear this, uh, that the state court proceedings were unfair on several fronts. Uh, they said that the lower courts were wrong to allow all of these women to proceed in a mass trial. Like they should be dealing with each of these cases individually, even though they were all kind of coming forward with the same thing. Um, and then also they had a problem with, there was women from outside of Missouri, coming forward, even though this was like a Missouri case. So it kind of seems like they're in the weeds, just trying to grasp at straws to avoid a lawsuit. Um, but at the end, it it looks like justice has prevailed here. They are going to have to pay out this 2.1 billion to 20 people. So those people are going to be very, very rich. Um, it, it is worth noting that six women have died from ovarian cancer before the trial even started. And three of those women, have died since it started. So I would assume that their families, their states will get paid out for that money, but, uh, it's, that's, that sucks to hear, man. And it's just kind of scary, you know, not to cast a bunch of doubt on the vaccine or anything, but that there's this vaccine that was rushed and put into so many people by the same company. And, and, you know, now it's in a lot of people's bodies. So it's just, just kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a weird one because there's no real concrete evidence that is pointing to this powder uh, causing cancer. It, it seems to be all relatively speculative, um, and it there are some studies that are pointing to a, a small uptick in risk, but there's a lot of studies that didn't find any risk in this. Uh, I mean, we know, we've known for a long time that asbestos is a, a incredibly poisonous thing. Uh, that material that we used to, I mean, shit, we used to be in, in all of our homes and yeah. uh, in, in our insulation. We know that it's bad. And I guess the argument is that there was some asbestos fibers that are mixed in with the talcum that is used in this baby powder. So it's like, they're saying more or less like, yeah, there is asbestos in this talcum powder and they've been using it for decades. And this is the reason that these six women had died. Um, so I guess what the ruling is saying is that these six women plus another, what was it? Two that died since this happened. Another um, three. Yep. They were, their cancer was caused directly by using this stuff all the time. Um, so they're saying even if it is overwhelmingly safe for most people, these eight women got cancer, therefore, and it was because of your product. And now you need to pay all this money. Well, so originally it was 24 people, just to be clear, it's not just nine, eight or nine people. It was 24 that came forward. Just since this has started, died. nine have died since it started. Nine. Yes. Okay. What is very interesting, and this might just be because they want to save face and they don't want to be known as people that were selling like, tainted baby powder, but they've spent over $4 billion in litigation expenses last year. <laughs> they spent $4 billion on lawyers last year. Yeah. And a lot of that was, was mostly related to these, ca- these cases involving the, the talcum powder. Um, I don't know, man, if I'm Johnson and Johnson, I I think I fight this as hard as I can because 
I mean, just looking at the at the at the surface of this and and what it is that they're being accused of versus the evidence. I don't know, man. The evidence just seems like really shaky. It doesn't seem like. I don't know. I don't know how else they're going to be able to fight it now, though, because the Supreme Court basically just told them to fuck off, like, and that they're going to like go with what the Missouri Appeals Court ruled. So I I don't really think they have a route now. Yeah. If you can't take it to the highest court in the land to make a ruling, like you're forced to go with the ruling that was made, and that's to pay out two point one billion. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, a court has found that they they had been selling tainted baby powder and whether or not they knew that they were doing doing so that what they were selling was was bad um they had the responsibility to know and they didn't and so now they have to pay up um gosh what a weird idea that a big large pharmaceutical corporation would be involved in some shady shit just so, so happens this so is also surprising. the same company that's been distributing millions and millions of vaccines across the world um yeah it's a little concerning uh yeah a little bit i mean look dude this this tale is all this time when it comes to american consumerism and and um i mean you hear about these stories all the time the hubris of capitalism it's not it is not the highest ideal that you can reach to as an American, as somebody who participates in free and open markets. You have the responsibility to know that you have stakeholders in everything that you do. And if you aren't a thousand percent sure that this isn't going to happen, then yeah, don't put it out there for sure. Um, I mean, we've talked about uh, numerous things that have gone wrong with corporations not doing the absolute right thing. I, while I don't really particularly like this case and the, and the evidence that's been brought up against Johnson Johnson, so far as I can see it, I will always, 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 always side with punishing the shit out of these companies for anything that they do wrong, particularly somebody as big as Johnson Johnson. I mean, we're talking about a multinational conglomerate who has trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars worth of revenue every single year. They are in every grocery store, in every pharmacy, in every corner of America. Johnson Johnson, baby powder, baby shampoo, that's synonymous with America, dude. Like that's way more than just a product. And we've talked about the Ford Pinto on the show about how they skirted they skirted regulations and cut corners and cut costs that they brought out a vehicle that they had calculated the dollar value of somebody's life versus the loss of revenue. If they didn't put out a vehicle that was going to kill people and they put out the vehicle. Anyway, we Mm. talked about uh, DuPont and how they were sending chemicals downstream river in West Virginia that was killing cows and, and ended up, causing cancer in, in humans, right? There should be zero tolerance for any sort of malicious behavior when it comes to corporations and their products. And I think that is where these judges were citing on this case. Um, I can't be too upset about it. Right. Um, and hopefully it sets a precedent too, man. I, I saw a video online the other day and I'm just looking it up now, but saying that people are finding lead in baby formula made by a couple different companies. It's not just like one company, but a study done by the clean label project said that over 30% of infant formulas and baby foods contain lead as well as many other contaminants, including arsenic, mercury, pesticides, and more and others. And I, I saw a video and this guy literally has a magnet to like a bag of baby powder and he's moving it. And you just see these like little black beads like follow the magnet and it's like what that's what you're giving to your newborn baby like so hopefully this shit like rulings like this like will make these companies more accountable to not try to do some sneaky shit in the name of saving a buck yeah it won't though and (laughs) and here's how i know it won't because the next one of these stories is going on right now it's something that we're putting in our bodies or on our bodies every single day and you know when you when you're talking about somebody like johnson and johnson even if they were to find that there was a slight risk of 
this stuff causing cancer in any, in any one fashion. That would mean that they would have to roll back the most fundamental product of their, of their line, right? What else, what else do you know about Johnson and Johnson other, other than, you know, they're a parent company for a bunch of other shit. Johnson and Johnson makes baby powder and baby shampoo and baby lotion. Yeah. We've all seen it. We all used it. So that's what it would mean to them. So if I'm Johnson and Johnson or I'm heading Johnson and Johnson and I am responsible for this giant ship, Unfortunately, I'm faced with the decision to either fight this and try and win in court or I I have to roll back my position and roll back this product. And if you roll back the fun, the fa- fundamental foundation of this giant corporation, how do you how do you, how do you come back from that? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. You know what I'm saying? I, that's why when I see that you're spending $400 billion to fight this in court, that's why it makes sense to me because this is as fundamental to them as anything that they do. Um, True. So we'll see. Like I said, unfortunately, I think, I think the next one of these stories is yet to be written and it's already hurting Americans. Sure. I feel like something else that kind of blew my mind uh, over the weekend, the past couple of days, I can't believe it took this long for this to come out, but uh, Pope Francis has officially changed church law to explicitly criminalize the sexual abuse of adults by priests who abuse their authority, and also to say that lay people who hold church office can be sanctioned for similar sex crimes. Um, That seems pretty straightforward. That that doesn't seem like anything too crazy to me, Um, but it actually took 14 years for them to make this ruling. Uh, which is insane to me. Um, The most significant changes are contained in two articles. If you care to know the numbers, it's 1395 and article 1398, uh, which aim to address major shortcomings in the church's handling of sexual abuse. The law recognizes that adults too can be victimized by priests who abuse their authority and power over them and said that lay people in church offices, such as school principals or parish economists can be punished for abusing minors as well as adults. Um, they also reference grooming of, of different kids and adults by priests to compel them to like engage in, in porn um, but it's the first time that church law has officially recognized uh, this as a criminal method used by several predators to build relationships with their victims and, and you know, groom them to do whatever they want them to do. Um, it also now officially carries penalties for these people if they get caught. Um, it removes much of like the discretion that had been there for bishops and other superiors to ignore it or cover it up, uh, basically saying that you can't have culpable negligence. Like if it's going on in your jurisdiction, uh, especially if there's proof that it's been brought forward and, and you didn't do anything about it, that is grounds to be removed from the church entirely. So I, I see nothing wrong with that. I just think it's insane that it took 14 years for a decision to, to be made on this. Like it, it seems, that seems just like, yeah, duh. <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, it, and it, more than it just making sense on the surface, to me, this doesn't mean anything. All it means is that there's an avenue for punishment. It's mm-hmm. only going to mean something if this is enforced. And I, I guess they're saying that it puts an emphasis on the obligation to enforce penalties that that are violating this code. Um, and the Pope wrote that it, it's, it, it can't just be an, a suggestion. It has to be action. But as we've seen in previous times from, from this institution, it's not about action and it's certainly uh, about saving face and about protecting the good name of the church uh, versus the people that have been abused by it. So, I mean, good for them for doing it. And it sets up a avenue. I suppose it's a step in the right direction, but I, I'm not going to be a believer in any of this shit unless there's actual action. I mean, you and we we know what action looks like. It it looks like when you prostrate yourself in front of the church, God, and all of humanity, and ask forgiveness for your sins. That is what action looks like. 
And that means that you, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Head's got to roll. And there needs to be fundamental change in how things happen. But you can't do that in the church because fundamental change doesn't exist in the church. It certainly doesn't exist in a swift manner. So it's going to be a lot of maybes. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe we'll see some changes. Maybe we'll start punishing the right people. Um, Maybe we'll see some legal action. Maybe we'll see the church give up their own to the authorities of the local jurisdictions in which they operate instead of pretending like there's some sovereign institution that operates anywhere they'd like and that they quote unquote, take care of their own. Uh, I I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't like any of this until there is some concrete stuff put behind it. What kind of blew my mind when I was reading into this though. And it said that the Vatican has long considered any sexual relations between a priest and an adult as sinful because they're obviously not allowed to do that, but always consensual. Um, Believing that adults are able to offer or refuse consent purely by the nature of their age. Um, So I just thought that was like the the most insane way to look at it. So you're saying like you could rape a fully grown woman and you're not necessarily at fault. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's a sin, but like it's not grounds for removal from the church up until now. Now, like now, if, if anything, this ruling puts into place rules or punishments for when this happens. Um, and for like, I think the biggest thing is for the people that would have tucked it under the rug to know that like your ass is on the line now too. It, according to this law, like you're saying, like, we'll wait to see if it gets put into place. Um, but like one case that happened very recently was uh, this ex-cardinal Theodore McCarrick. Uh, This happened, uh, he was the former Archbishop of Washington, and the Vatican knew for years that he slept with his uh, seminarians um, and and others in the church, but he, they they just swept this whole thing under the rug. He was only put on trial after someone came forward saying that he abused them as a youth. Uh, But this, this was going on for years and years and years and years and years, and like now, in this case, if this was to happen in today's standards... I'm sure it wouldn't be the Pope, even though the Vatican was the ones who swept this under the rug, but some high up Cardinal, his ass would be defrocked, which means like removed from the church. Um, you know, so hope, hopefully it stops more of this stuff from happening. Like I, I feel like we, we don't hear as much about it today. You know, I'm sure it's still going on, but I don't think it's going on to the degree it was, you know, seventies, eighties when these guys were open season, um, doing this kind of stuff. And that's not to say that every priest in no way was doing this, but definitely was happening way more back in the day. Um, so at least now that there's some kind of course of action to take care of these sick fucks and get them out of, of the church. Cause that's obviously not what they are about. Just very interesting that there's many, many cases that go all the way up to the Vatican covering it up. Um, you know, it, it's just, yeah, that's not, upsetting. that's not new news. I mean, we've known yeah. that for a little while. Here's why I'm not very optimistic about any of this is because Again, we're talking about an institution that doesn't operate under the rules of any form of British common law yeah. or any form of, of modern Western society's law practice, a judicial way of taking care of criminal acts, right? Because even in this, right, if, even in this penal code, it, it's, not, it's not saying that it's a crime against children, it's saying it's an offense against the sixth commandment. Sixth commandment is, is you shouldn't commit adultery, right? So it describes child abuse as adultery. That is what it's classifying it as. It doesn't even create its own avenue of crime for abusing children. And so, like, even that's like, you, you can't even take it seriously because you're not even calling it what it is. You're not telling the truth about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the Catholic Church, I can't think of one greater institution in the world, one more powerful institution in the world, one more far-reaching institution in the world than the Catholic church. I had a, a professor in my MBA used to always say cash flow is the most important thing for your business. Unless you're Google, Apple or the Vatican, they got all the money 
that you could possibly ever want as an institution. They are, they hide behind God and they use their own, they use their own rules for their own judgment and they can't modernize their penal code to recognize child abuse. Hmm. And I, I'm, I'm not optimistic about this at all. All this tells me is that there is now an avenue for this. And if you're uh, dumb enough to get caught, then you might get penalized. But we are not going to attack this issue. We are just going to set up stop gaps so that if we get lucky and we run into an abuser, then we have a way to persecute this person, but we're not going to go after this, this problem. We are just going to try everything we can to beat around the bush here. And, you know, it, to me, it's like the biggest slap in the face to any God fearing moralistic person who is trying to create a center of good in themselves by using the Bible or what have you. You have this largest Christian institution in the world and they're basically saying, man, we write the rules here. We, we are going to play God in revelate. We're going to be the judger here. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to submit ourselves to what we know is right and wrong. And yeah, it, it, to me, it's just, it, it, it just, it, it, it reeks of nothingness and it is just a slap in the face to each and every one of their followers and anybody who's trying to use the Bible and the moralistic teachings of the Bible to create a, a life for themselves that they can find purpose in. And this is just spitting in those people's faces. I hate it. I agree. I mean, and it's just as you're talking, I'm just kind of looking up numbers for the amount of people that they, I don't know, I don't want to say control, but like that are part of, of their movement of, of whatever they're doing there. There are 7.6 billion people in the world as of 2019 of those people, 2.1 billion people are Christians. And I think Islam is somewhere like 1.8. Like it's, it's close behind, but not too far. Uh, and you're making rulings that affect, you know, your entire congregation and all, all these th people that like live their life by it. And like, yeah, right now we're just, we're just saying that like, oh yeah, an adult can rape another adult or like, it just, it seems so foolish. Like that these, that, you know, even though you have the Bible and other things in place to live well, that like simple things like this and like, like child pedophilia are, are like have been accepted for so long by a group that like runs you know, or oversees so many people. And, and like to think that like something like this could be really easily addressed if, if there was some kind of like governing body within it, that's not just like, well, God gives power to the Pope or whatever the fuck. Like there's, there's no like governing body to like really make this ship run at all like it should. And I, I guess, I mean, our U S government is a democracy and it doesn't run like it should either. So maybe that's not the solution, but it's just concerning that like something like this seem on the surface seems like really easy to correct when you look at like pedophilia, if, if you just let these, these guys live somewhat normal lives and have like a family or, or any kind of semblance of like the normal things that like let people let out these like very human basic things that are bred into our DNA, like that is sex. And, and like the, like the, that's the human experience in a way. So like to tell these people, like, because of a God, you can't do that. And you now need to reside over congregations of people and tell them how to live their lives. And you might be like a piece of shit yourself. And once again, not all of them are like this. It's just, just an example. It just seems like such an easy thing that could be fixed by coming to grips with what the world really is and what people just really are. And, and you like live in this like false, crazy reality in the name of God, it just, it, it doesn't make any sense. No, man. It, but it's not a mystery to me because what you're doing here is, I mean, it's, it, to me, it's pretty obvious. You have the most devout of Catholics who run the show, right? And there's no such thing as like, I mean, there could be such thing as like 
a liberal priest or somebody who can see this situation for what it is. But when it comes to the leadership of this church, it has always been about protecting the tradition, protecting the dogma, protecting what it is that has gotten them to this point. So in or, in order to make this right, it would have to be a complete reversal of almost everything that the church does. Mm-hmm. And they can't do that. I'm not saying they shouldn't do that. I'm saying they don't have that choice as, I mean, we we're just talking about Johnson and Johnson. If you get so big that your main product is poisoning the people that use it, and your only choice is to fight it in court or to r- recall it, recall your, your flagship product, what are you going to do? In this case, if you're the Catholic Church and you fought wars for, for where you are now and the tradition is so entrenched in what our human history is, your only choice is either to fight it or to to retract what it is that you've said for however many thousands of years. So it's not as easy as just coming out and saying, Hey, we, on the surface, we see this as this. And, um, you know, we're just going to flip a switch here and, and now we're going to change this way because you're talking about a globe of followers. Yeah. And any change that you do like that has to be, it has to be small. You can't rock the boat that much. You, you risk, bringing the whole thing down. And that's why I don't like institutionalized religion for that very reason, because it becomes bigger than the purpose that they've set out to serve. Right. And, um, it gets lost in translation is the word of God. Because if if you're doing here is you're essentially saying, here's the word of God. The word of God is, uh, there are no such thing as child abusers, only adulterers. What? Well, that's, that's what God said. Fuck that, you. That's, that's also what God because said. the word of God was written by humans, though, claiming to be spoken to by God, which today's words would be called crazy people. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I was just having this conversation with a buddy a few weeks ago about my my understanding of of the Bible and then how it pertains to religion and how I, more or less I, I like to defend religion because of the outlet that it provides for the people who are using it for the right reasons. But no religion, religion came before the Bible. It wasn't the other way around. Yeah. So those words, if they're quote unquote divinely inspired, were divinely inspired without, I mean, there's no such thing as canon when it comes to the origins of all these religions. It is pure, I mean, more or less the Bible as it was written was all metaphorical and was done for moralistic reasons so that humans, as they progressed in this world could find a center and live through that in order to find purpose and happiness and fulfillment and to live life the wrong way and to steer clear of the warnings set within those words, right? That's basically all the Bible. It has nothing to do with Catholicism or Christianity or being Seventh-day Adventist or what have you. You know, these are all interpretations of this. And I think it's the greatest example of, I think it proves the prophecies in the words in the Bible more than anything when we see things like this. Because what were we taught from the beginning of the Bible that man fell, that they were born and indebted with original sin and that they have a lifelong journey to make sure that they do not give in to what they were born with. And you see it in the church almost more egregiously than any other aspect of human society, at least if we're talking about Western human society. So it's these kind of stories that just cement my disdain for institutionalized anything. You get as big as as the Catholic Church is, you're going to get these stupid-ass stories. And I hope more people wake up to that and stop living for getting wrapped up in religion. And if you need to, start getting wrapped up in a relationship with God. 
because it doesn't have to do with religion. Yeah. I just think they need to adapt to the world as it is and not as they saw it, in, you know, 2000 years ago. Cause it's like gay people should be able to get married and still be, you know, feel like they're part of a religion. If that's what they want to live their life by, like they shouldn't be felt as though they're outcasts just because a Pope makes a decree or, you know, some of this other stuff we're saying, I think that 2.1 billion is going to slowly, but surely, and maybe not even that slowly start to really decrease if, if people, you know, you know, see that this thing isn't changing like it should through the course of time, because like the world is not as it was two, 3000 years ago. Like it is very different. People still, a lot of people still want to have a relationship with God, but the Catholic church is making it harder and harder to do so, man. If you don't live within their cookie cutter example of a life that many of them don't even live up to. So, well, yeah, I think you have a better chance of, uh, Texas Democrats voting in a <laughs> voting for a, 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 a voting bill than you will the Catholic Church coming to terms with modern uh, modern day society. Um, Good segue. And that's exactly what happened this past weekend um, in Texas. Their uh, legislative session uh, was drawing to a close and uh, their lawmakers appeared to be uh, all set to to pass a a bill that was overhauling um, their election process. And the Texas Democrats just left the building. They snuck out of the building. Um, And (laughs) they did so so they could kill the bill, right? It didn't get voted on. The bill died. The session ended. Um, it's a complete undermining of the legislative process in general, which is not being talked about, but it, it, it basically just spat in the face of, uh, how our government is set up to represent the people. Now, the reason they did this was because of all of starting with Joe Biden and going all the way on down people calling this bill. Um, racist, un-American, quote, an assault on democracy. Um, they didn't, they didn't compare it to Jim Crow like they did with the Georgia bill. But <laughs> what they're trying to do is they're trying to make this sound like we are repressing the voting rights of Americans. Nothing could be further from the truth. When COVID hit, we talk about this a little bit. States put in extraordinary measures for voting because it was necessary, right? There were up to two or three weeks of early voting in some places. In California, everybody who showed up on a voting register was mailed a ballot. Everybody. Uh, in Texas, there were drive-through 24-hour voting places. Um, and they just wanted to get rid of these emergency procedures because when they put them in, they were put in as law. And now they're like, well, well, we saw what happened while there wasn't any proof of voter fraud en masse. And there's still audits going on while there wasn't any proof of voting fraud en masse. What you saw was a complete and total disregard for all of the voting laws that were put in place. Nobody liked them. Nobody trusted them. And there's good reason for that. So basically they just said, hey, we're going to get rid of these emergency procedure, emergency um, measures that we put into place. And when we talked about the Georgia bill, it's, it's the same thing. What gets lost in translation on both sides is this. On the right, you know that if these emergency voting procedures are put in place, that you are going to see a giant uptick in voting for Democrat voters. That is just what is going to happen. On the left, you know that if you don't make voting as stupidly easy as possible, like a 24-hour drive through voting and mailing a voting ballot to every single person who's on a registrar, you're not going to turn out enough votes needed to win elections, particularly when somebody like Donald Trump isn't on the ballot and you can't motivate people to the polls, right? So what is used? Racism. Racism is used 
because you can say that if you put these measures into place, that you are going to measurably cut down the black and brown vote. And these black and brown votes are almost majority Democrat. And this is true. This is a, this is a true statement. This happens almost in every scenario where you make it quote unquote harder to vote. Now, when we're talking about harder to vote, we're talking about two weeks of early voting. Okay. That's what's in this bill. Two weeks of early voting. I don't know about you, buddy, but how I was raised, if I had two weeks to get something done and didn't get it done and something as important as voting, uh, that was on me. That was my issue. If you have two weeks to vote, and you can vote on a Sunday and you have polling places open 12 hours a day, six hours on a Sunday, and that's not enough for you. I don't know what to tell you. Now you could say, well, what about the photo ID law? Because they want to identify who's voting. Okay, great. All they're saying is that if you have a state ID number, like a driver's license, you can use that. If you don't have a driver's license, great. You can use the last four of your social security number. All right. That is all they want to do. If you have those, if your last force of your social matches up with what's on your voting, uh, what's on your ballot, then they presume that your signature is valid and that vote gets counted. I, I don't know. I don't know how, 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 how much easier we want to make it for people to vote while still protecting the integrity of the voting process, but I'm sick and tired of hearing that this shit is racist or it's repressive or it's taking us back to Jim Crow era. Look, man, I don't care black, brown or otherwise. If you can't get out there in two weeks to go vote and you can't put down the last four of your social or your driver's license, that, that can't be everyone's problem. And it certainly can't be the reason that we walk out of voting um, in our legislator. And yeah. undermining the entire American process of government. To me, it's unacceptable. And it just it just reeks of stupid partisan bullshit. And if both people would if both sides would tell the truth of what's going on, um, I think you would <laughs> I think you'd you'd be surprised at how many people would actually listen to what you're saying and then be motivated to vote. Exactly. The first thing I thought when I heard this story is how is there enough Democrats in Texas to make, <laughs> to stop a bill like this from happening? Like I no, would think there'd be enough for California's moving out there. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, dude, I, I do think it should be very easy to vote. Like, I don't think you need to go to the polls on November 7th to vote. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of instances where some people can't get off work. Yeah. Yeah. There's, Blah, blah, blah. There's tons of things. Two weeks is plenty of fucking time to get out there and cast your vote if you give a shit about voting. That, 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 and there should be several avenues to do that. Like, I'm not opposed with 24 hour drive through voting. That's fine. Like, you should, there should be several avenues, to, you know, mail in ballots, all these different things so that people can vote. That, that doesn't seem bad to me that you make it easier to vote. Two weeks, plenty of time. Should you have to provide an ID to make that vote to show that you are who you say you are? Absolutely, fucking lootly You have to show ID to walk into a bar and prove that you're 21. You have to show ID to hop on an airplane to go through an airport. You have to show ID for so many other things. Why the hell would you not have to show ID to vote for the leader of the free world and the other people that are controlling everything in your local politics and, and whatnot? Like that is such a no brainer thing to me that I can't believe it's something that the, that is being argued. And if, if the Democrats I think that there's a bipartisan solution here to where like the Democrats can still feel like the, that minority voice that they feel like powers and, and wins them elections. If they can still feel like they're fairly being able to vote, but the Republicans can say like, okay, but now we know that the people that are voting are legal are, are able to actually register and then go vote. Like that seems like a no brainer solution to me that where like two parties can put aside this dick measuring contest of winning whatever you want to win to say that you won and like actually come to a solution. This seems so simple to me. Yeah. I mean, we're neither of us are politicians, right? So I don't know how well it would go over if I was an elected official in Texas Democrat. And I'm talking to the population that happens to be majority black or Brown who are not going to vote. If these measures are to have taken place, right? What am I going to say to them? 
Um, but what's, he, what's to stop that though? Like what's to stop a black or brown person or anyone? Oh, literally nothing. From going, like all you need is an ID. All, like you just said, you don't even need to probably even have the ID. You just need the and driver's license number. Like what is, what is stopping them from, from still having their voice heard? That's, that's what's so frustrating about this because I think the proposed laws here are way more than reasonable (laughs) for the ability to go and vote. But like I said, you know that just by doing this, just by taking these measures, you are going to effectively erase a giant portion of a Democratic vote. That is just what it is. Democrats know it. Republicans know it. Anybody who knows anything knows it. They just know that if you don't make it easy enough, people are the people that they want to have go vote for them will not be motivated to do it. It just doesn't happen. So you can go ahead and you can say that this is repressive and racist because of who it affects. What you're not saying and what you're not being truthful about is that the people who were going to go vote anyway were not motivated to do so when it is... If you're not motivated to go when there's one day of voting, right? When there's just an election day, then what they're saying is that even if you put an extra two weeks out there, you're not going to be motivated. These people are not going to be motivated to go. They know this. And what I'm saying, what, what I'm saying is like, even though that is the case, I am much more concerned about the legitimacy of an election than I am who isn't motivated to go vote and who is to me, it makes zero difference. If you don't have confidence in an election, right, then you are going to undermine everything that's going on. You have to have confidence in election. You have to shore it up to the strictest policies possible while still allowing anybody who wants to go vote to go vote that is what this bill does. Uh, and it's ridiculous that it's, it's being, um, it's ridiculous that it's being painted in, in any, in any different light and that any different picture is being painted here. It, it's, it sucks that we've gone away from common sense for this kind of thing, right? Like you said, what do you need an ID to do? Uh, literally everything. I can't hop on a flight to Los Angeles without showing an ID. I live two hours from Los Angeles. I cannot get on that flight unless I have an ID to prove that I am who I am. Why, why would we take the most sacred action that we have as a democratic people in our vote? And why would we take away the seriousness of that? Why would we try to undermine the seriousness of that? It is in fact, one of the most serious things that we have the ability to do. Why wouldn't our first, why wouldn't the thing that we want to make happen first be that this is safe and we know exactly where these ballots are going? I mean, to me, I think one day of early voting is plenty. You know when election day is? It's Tuesday. Guess what? You can't make it Tuesday, you have Monday. To me, should be plenty. You want to put two weeks? Fine. I'm not in the Texas legislature. I don't make those decisions. That seems like a lot to me, but it's incredibly reasonable, particularly compared to um, Jim Crow or any sort of voter suppression. So I hate, so no one's being suppressed. No. No one's no. being suppressed here. How, how is election day not a fucking national holiday though? Everyone should be off work. No question. Paid holiday. Like you have it for Memorial Day, Labor yeah. Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, which is like a Christian holiday. Like that's not even observed by so many people. These are all paid holidays. Easter, like most of them are, I mean, Easter is a Sunday, but like most of these holidays are paid holidays and they're, they have like more to do with religion or like supporting troops or supporting people that work all the time. Like, but you can't give a paid holiday for the day that we elect all the rulers of our world. Well, what? first of all, the story of how we got to the election day that we have is very weird. It stems like back when you know, you needed a horse and carriage to go vote. Mm. Um, and it just kept on through tradition. Um, but keeping with tradition, <laughs> but, but, you know, election day, like the federal election day for the president 
that's just one election day that happens every four years. I mean, if you wanted to make that a national holiday, fine, but you have midterms and you have your local elections and, um, you have runoff elections and special elections and all these elections. True. I think you would solve a lot of problems by making the day that we vote for president a federal holiday. You would solve almost all of these problems. And then I, I, I would imagine that if you're a, a, a Democratic leader, you wouldn't want that to happen because then you would have nowhere to hide. <laughs> you would have yeah. no place to, uh, to, you have no, no, nothing to pin your lack of voter turnout on other than the people that you want to vote, not going to vote for you. And so, I mean, if that's what they want to do, I'm all for it. Um, but I uh, good, good for these good, good for the Texas legislator. I hope we see more of this. It happened in Georgia. It happened in Texas. Um, after what we saw last year, I, I hope that we try as hard as we can to shore up these elections. And if it means two weeks of early voting with 12 hour days, uh, 12 hour windows of voting and six hour window of voting on Sunday, I mean, you, you literally couldn't say anything else to convince me that that isn't the most fair and most reasonable suggestion to put out there. And uh, yeah, keep it coming, keep it coming and keep calling it racist and keep telling on yourselves. Because you look like a bunch of damn fools in Texas. <laughs> you really do. A bunch of Don't disagree. What I do agree with is that drinking a good, smooth cup of coffee is a treat all by itself. But when it helps American heroes like veterans and first responders, it is that much better. Gun Barrel Coffee is proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across the country. We are proud to have them as our sponsor of the show. From their medium blend, the Moab... Uh, to their Double Dark, the Battleship Roast, and their CBD-infused blend, the Medic. All of their coffees are smooth without that acid and bitterness you find in so many coffees. Uh, And now they even have their own hot sauce. I just got it shipped to me. I'm about to try it tonight. Very excited. Um, It is called the Big Guns, so check that out. They offer 14 different blends and roasts of coffee in whole bean, ground, or single-serve pods. And right now, as a listener of our podcast, you can use the promo code FNH10, and you'll save 10% at checkout when you buy their delicious coffee at gunbarrelcoffee.com. Gun Barrel Coffee. Damn good coffee. Damn good cause. This was a damn good show. I missed, uh, missed doing this with you, Franklin. Absolutely, sir. Uh, if you guys would like to reach us, uh, comment about anything that we've said today or anything that we've ever said, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, go ahead and uh, give us a message on Twitter at FriendshipNH. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at FriendshipNewsHour. And you can always email us at BummerDude.media at gmail.com. That is BummerDude.media media at gmail.com and we will see you guys next time. Bye-bye.